Good morning again. Our sermon text for this morning is Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. Uh, Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5. You may notice that there's some overlap with our sermon text from last week, or two weeks ago, I guess now. And and you may remember uh, from two weeks ago that we said that was kind of uh, an incomplete sermon, uh, and that, that we'd be picking it back up this week, and, and uh, it'll probably spill over into next week as well. But um, uh, it's, a, it's a dense text. There's a lot here, so we'll have to dig into it little by little. Uh, before we read uh, Galatians 5, let's pray together. Our Father, we again turn to you, and we, uh, we, we turn to you a lot because we, we need you. Um, we, we need you at work in our lives. Uh, we want to honor you. We want to serve you with our whole hearts. And yet we're, we're so weak. Uh, we need your strength. We need your spirit. Um, we need your spirit now to be at work in our hearts and minds to open us up to what your word has to say. Um, pray that you would, by your spirit, give me the words to say and uh, open our hearts that we would have the ears to hear. Um, Father, we pray that you would be glorified in this time we have together now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Galatians 5, verses 16 to 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Well, there are things in each of our lives that we wish weren't there. And I don't mean people that we wish weren't there in our lives. I mean things inside of us that we wish weren't there. We want to be different, but oftentimes we see little change. And sometimes we wonder if something is wrong with us. Uh, We know what's in our hearts Uh, We look around at at the people around us, we look at their behavior, and we think they must have figured something out that we don't know, right? There must be some trick that they've gotten that that nobody told us about. And we often uh, respond to this struggle with sin in one of two ways. Uh, Either we we just work harder, right, and, and pursue frantic activity, I'll just try more, 
uh, or we take our hands off and let go and let God, right? We turn to passivity. So either activity or passivity. Um, either we turn to sort of self-reliance, self-reliant activity. You know, we read our Bible, we pray, we go to church, we attend Bible studies, we have accountability groups, we volunteer our time, we give to the poor, we work, work, work. All good things, but all activity that in itself, apart from the Spirit's work, in itself cannot change my heart. And so we just keep doing and doing and hoping that we'll hit on something that's going to make things right. Or we turn to passivity, right? We don't do anything and we just wait and figure maybe at some point God will change me. Well, last time we were in Galatians, we looked at some of the problems in Galatia, conflict in the church, biting and devouring. Conflict in the church, which which Paul says stems from a deeper conflict in our hearts, a conflict of desires. And maybe you've uh, been thinking about that. Uh, Maybe you've been looking at your heart uh, and uh, maybe you've seen sort of the mess that's in there. And maybe you yourself have veered back and forth between sort of frantic activity trying to change and frustrated passivity waiting for change. And nothing seems to work. And now you're looking for some answers. Well, uh, as you probably know, um, I don't have any magic words for you. Uh, There's no pill that will instantly change your heart. And yet, as we turn to the scriptures, there is real hope for change. Uh, Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Then uh, later on in verse 25, he exhorts us to keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. And my goal this morning is really just to begin to unpack that phrase, something we'll do a little more uh, next week as well, but begin to unpack that phrase, keep in step with the Spirit. Um, I'm obviously not going to give the final word on all that that means, but I hope to say some helpful things. And uh, to begin to answer, what does it mean to keep in step with the Spirit and His work in our lives? So as we go, you should be asking yourself some questions like, okay, where am I struggling in life? Where am I living according to the flesh, uh, as Paul warns against? Where am I struggling to keep in step with the Spirit's work in my life? And uh, how can I move to begin to align myself with His work? So where am I struggling uh, to live according to the Spirit, and how can I move to begin to align myself with what He's doing? Well, our outline, uh, which I I think made it into the bulletin, yep, uh, there are two points on the outline. I got it to Joe kind of late, so wasn't sure. Um, Two points on the outline, uh, the Spirit's fruit and our steps. So really the first one will be a little more brief. Briefly, we'll talk about the Spirit's fruit, and then we will begin... uh, to see what it looks like to keep in step with the Spirit, our steps. Uh, First, the Spirit's fruit. Look at verses 19 to 23 again. Verses, and I'll read them again. Uh, We've heard them twice already, but I'll read them one more time, verses 19 to 23. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousies, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And I, I want us at the moment just to notice two things in that section, really the two sort of key phrases that balance the section out. The first is the phrase, the works of the flesh. And uh, what, what does the flesh produce? It produces works, Paul says. Um, the flesh, our, our sinful nature, which we'll unpack a little more in a minute, but it, it rests in what we can accomplish. Our, our sinful nature is all about activity, right? The flesh is enamored with the self and what we can do. And, and uh, I was thinking about this this week. Uh, have you ever noticed that we can take any human activity and turn it into a contest, right? Um, I won't even get into some of the things my boys have been competing over over the past couple weeks. There was one thing that involved goldfish. Uh, you can ask me about that later. But um, the, the, the Guinness Book of World Records, right? H- half of the Guinness Book of World Records is um, people who did really dumb things, but they did it better than anybody else, <laughs> right? In fact, there's a headline on the Guinness website right now that says, Daredevil female, enter- Daredevil female Entertainer Breaks Record Stopping Fans With Her Tongue. On what planet would it be useful to stop electric fan blades with your tongue? None. Right? That will never be useful. But right, we focus on things that we can do, however odd they might be. We focus on what we can accomplish in our own strength. And and that's why the flesh so often leads to pride and boasting. Because here's something I can do, however absurd it might be, right? Here's something I can do. Or else, relying on the flesh leads to despair and self-loathing when we fail. Because everybody else can do something better than me. Um, That's why the flesh so often clings to laws, right? Because laws, rules, especially man-made laws and rules, are normally doable. And so we, we, we like to feel like we've accomplished something. So we, we turn to rules, we turn to laws. Um, the flesh doesn't have eyes for anything beyond the flesh, right? Physical eyes see physical things. So the flesh sees only flesh, relies on itself, focuses on what we can do. And so Paul calls them the works of the flesh. Um, This is what the flesh can do. This is what you can do in your own strength. And think about it, right? Look at these two lists, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Which of these can you easily do? Which of these is workable for you, right? Which is easier, uh, sexual sin or genuine love? Jealousy or kindness? Drunkenness and partying or self-control? The flesh does what the flesh can do in itself. Uh, Remember what Jesus said uh, at one point in John 15. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And and what he meant was nothing of value, right? You you can do the works of the flesh. Um, Here's something we can accomplish in ourselves. So Paul talks about the works of the flesh. Here's Here's what we can do in ourselves. And then he uses another phrase, right? The phrase, fruit of the Spirit. Why fruit? 
of the Spirit. Why not works of the Spirit? Right? That would be nice and balanced, right? Works of the flesh versus the works of the Spirit. That's not what Paul says, though. He says works of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit. Um, well, a number of pastors and commentators have listed all kinds of reasons for that. I'll just mention a couple. Um, the first is that fruit is gradual, right? A work is something you can do in a moment, but fruit is something that grows. It takes time to mature. It takes time to ripen. The Spirit's work in our lives takes time to mature and to ripen. Uh, two, fruit is inevitable, uh, you know, a work is something that you may or may not do, but fruit trees bear fruit. Uh, it, it's natural, it's the natural result of it being a fruit tree. And these things are the natural result of the indwelling of the Spirit within us. Maybe gradual, but it's inevitable that we will bear this, this fruit. Uh, third is that fruit comes from the inside out. Um, fruit doesn't just pop out of nowhere on the outside of the tree. Uh, an apple tree is an apple tree all the way down to its roots. And that apple fruit is the result of the tree being an apple tree and producing what that tree is meant to produce. It, it works from the inside out. And, and so the fruit of the Spirit is the result of our being indwelt and transformed internally by the Spirit to produce His fruit. And then fourth, right, fruit, uh, the fruit is the Spirit's fruit. You know, Paul doesn't say, here's the fruit I want you to bear. But he says, the fruit of the Spirit is. Right? The fruit of the Spirit in your life is the Spirit's fruit. Uh, it's not your fruit. This is not about what you can do, again, in yourself. That would be the works of the flesh. Um, the flesh can work, but only the Spirit can bear this fruit in your life. And we are ultimately, by nature, prickly thorn bushes most of the time, not fruit trees, right? And so the Spirit must bear this fruit in our lives. And you can see how even just beginning to look at this passage begins to answer uh, our common response to sin of just frantic activity. Um, sometimes we fight sin by trying harder, by doing more. Right? If, you're, if you're in a battle, you need to fight after all, right? So you, you fight and you fight hard. Um, but what do we notice? Oftentimes, all of our activity doesn't change anything. Our flesh is all about work until you realize, though, that you can do nothing in this battle of yourself. All your activity is just spinning your wheels. Um, you know, yesterday we were at Allerton Park and um, we parked on the grass in a muddy field. And I was worried that if I hit the gas, we wouldn't go anywhere. Uh, and you know how it is, right? If your tires are on a patch of ice or if you're sunk into the mud, uh, no matter how hard you hit the gas, your wheels just spin. Lots of activity, but no movement. The flesh is powerless to manufacture the fruit that God desires in your life. There are so many things, good things, listed in verses 22 to 23, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. But it's ultimately not your work to bring those about, but the Spirit's fruit. So we need to look to Him. Well, let's, let's move on to our steps. So the Spirit's fruit, our steps. And, you know, you might respond to this, okay, if the battle is between my flesh and uh, the Holy Spirit, and the goal of this war is something I can't produce, right? The fruit of the Spirit. 
then maybe I'm just to sit back and do nothing. That's what it sounds like you're saying, Luke, right? Just sit back and just wait. Let go and let God, so to speak. Um, well, the, the result of that normally is we end up just living in our sin. And maybe we're okay with that, just saying, well, if God wants to change me, he'll change me. Um, maybe we get frustrated, though. Maybe, maybe we're even angry. We begin to blame God for our own actions. Um, maybe we despair. Why doesn't God do something about this in my life? Maybe we're doubting, right? If God hasn't changed me by now, am I really a Christian? Um, and, you know, this, this idea of complete passivity in the Christian life, that we just sit and wait for God to do something, it, it's actually on the surface wrong, right? It's, it's obviously wrong. Why? Because of all these commands Paul keeps giving, right? I mean, read through Galatians. Uh, he, he says, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And he's telling you to do something or not to do something in that case. Uh, through love, serve one another. Again, he's telling you to do something. Uh, walk by the Spirit is a command. Keep in step with the Spirit is a command. Uh, Paul is telling us to do lots of things, even in this little passage. And so the question is, what is he telling us to do? What does it look like to keep in step with the Spirit? What does that mean? And, uh, you know, fundamentally, I think there are three things um, to this. On the one hand, they're saying no to the flesh, right? what we might otherwise call repentance, right? Turning from our flesh, uh, saying yes to God's Spirit and His work in our lives, walking in faith, and then taking specific acts of new obedience. So saying no to the flesh, saying yes to the Spirit, and taking specific acts of new obedience. Now, uh, we're only going to look at the first of those this week because I realized we'd be here a long time if we were going to look at all three. So we're only going to look at one. <laughs> and uh, you can thank me for that later, right? Uh, only my, I'm sure my boys are going, Oof. Uh, we're only going to look at the first one, saying no to the flesh, and then next week we're going to look at what it, what it means to say yes to God's Spirit and to take specific new acts of obedience in light of that. Um, so, how do we keep in step with the Spirit? The first is, we have to say no to the flesh. What is the flesh? Uh, we've been talking about it for a few weeks now, but it's worth answering again. The, the flesh, sort of a simple definition is, um, as you look in the scriptures, it's, it's all of what it means to be human rather than God. Everything it means to be human rather than God, uh, which, of course, in itself isn't bad, right? Um, but you might think of it like this. Uh, imagine, right, you're a, a king in medieval Europe, and you have this farmer in your kingdom. Uh, the farmer is good, right? You, you need the farmer. Um, he farms, so farmers do, right? The farmers farm, and he produces produce for your kingdom. That's all good until that farmer revolts, right? until there's an uprising and he seeks to be the king himself. Suddenly, that once good farmer is now very bad uh, and in imminent danger of probably losing his head in medieval Europe. Um, this is the flesh, right? It, the flesh refers most broadly to everything that it means to be human, every aspect of being human. That's good, right? God made us who we are. Um, not just the physical, but, but being human as um, instead of being God, being created instead of being the creator, right? That's the flesh. That's not bad. Creation is good. Uh, it's, it's not creation as creation that is bad, but creation uh, opposed to the creator. 
It's when, it's when our humanity is in opposition to God that it becomes a bad thing. Um, creation makes a very good creation, but a very bad God, right? And, and the moment creation rises up in rebellion, at that moment, our flesh becomes sinful. Uh, once human beings begin to rely on the flesh instead of God, or evaluate life by the flesh instead of by God's word, or delight in, solely in the flesh instead of in the God who made all things, then we begin to treat the world as if it were God. If we're to keep in step with the Spirit, then we must say no to this revolt of our flesh. And there are at least three ways that we do that. Three ways that we say no to the flesh. Three ways that we say no to ourselves uh, and so keep in step with the Spirit. Uh, and I'll list them before I go into them. The first is we need to say no to self-deception. Second is we need to say no to selfish desires. And the third is we need to say no to self-reliance. So self-deception, selfish desires, and self-reliance. Uh, first, we need to say no to self-deception. You know, Paul says that the works of the flesh are obvious. Um, if you want to know whether your desires are from the flesh or from the spirit, uh, just look at what those desires produce. The works of the flesh, he says, uh, are, are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, and so on. And if... Uh, if the desire, if you have a desire, say, to get to work on time, that sounds like a good thing, right? Uh, but if that produces in you fits of anger at anyone who is holding you up on the road, that is a fleshly desire, a selfish desire. Uh, if you desire to grow your business, well, that might be a good thing. But if that stops you from being kind to your employees or patient with them when they make big mistakes that cost you money, right? Well, well then... That's a fleshly desire. If you can't live out the fruit of the Spirit because of it. Uh, if you desire to get married, but that leads you to envy those around you, other people you know as you watch your friends get married, well, that's a, a fleshly desire, a selfish, controlling desire. Remember, the desires of the flesh, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, are not necessarily for bad things. None of those things are bad that I just listed. Uh, getting to work on time is not bad, right? Growing a business isn't bad. Marriage isn't bad. Those are all good things. Um, but often, desires of the flesh are, are, are what we might call over-desires for good things. When a desire for a good thing becomes so large that God's no longer in the picture in my life, that I need this thing to give me life, safety, joy, that's a desire of the flesh. Well, where does self-deception come in? Uh, well, too often we make excuses, don't we? Paul says that the, the works of the flesh are evident, but very often we make excuses for them. Uh, we say, I got angry at my friend because, or I looked at porn on the internet because, or I'm not talking to that person anymore because. See, too often we pretend everything is okay. We make excuses uh, for the way life is. Paul says the works of the flesh are obvious, right? Don't rationalize. Be honest with yourself. Hold all your actions up to the standard of the fruit of the Spirit in your life, right? Was I loving? Was I patient? Was I joyful? Was I kind? Was I faithful? And I say no to self-deception by evaluating my actions by the standard of the Spirit's fruit. If my actions are consistent with the works of the flesh, then these are sinful actions stem from sinful desires. Repentance always begins with, an honest, with being honest with yourself, being honest with yourself about what's really going on in your heart. So we need to say no to self-deception, be honest with ourselves about what's going on. 
And we need to say no then, second, to selfish desires. Galatians 5 says that there's this battle of desires in our hearts. You know, verse 17 says the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. We respond to the spirit's work by saying no to our selfish flesh-driven desires. How do we do that? How do we say no? Uh, well, first and foremost, through confession. Right? Through confession. So we need to be honest with ourselves. We need to confess these things to God. Sometimes, sometimes non-Christians think uh, that, that the deepest desires of our hearts are good. Right? We should follow them wherever they lead us. Um, sometimes even Christians think that as a new creature in Christ, my desires are going to be all good. I should follow them. Right? The, the phrase, follow your heart, is just as likely to be found on a plaque in uh, a Christian bookstore as in a hallmark. Right? Follow your heart. Um, but sometimes uh, we, we don't even think about the desires of our heart. We just give in to every desire willy-nilly, right? ignoring the fact that my heart is a battleground, Scripture says. The Bible teaches my desires are at war with one another. Rather than simply letting my impulses drive my life, I need to confess sinful desires, not indulge them. Well, what does that look like? I mean, how, how does that work itself out? Uh, well, part of it is just moment by moment, paying attention to where your heart is, paying attention enough to know what desires are down there. Um, part of that does mean noticing your emotions. When I talk about the heart, I don't simply mean emotions. But part of it means paying attention to your emotions, right? So you can see what desires are driving those. If I'm angry, why am I angry? If I'm upset, why am I upset? If I'm sad, why am I sad? Um, and as I see these sinful desires rise up, I, I cry out to God. It doesn't have to be some long, drawn-out thing. We talked about this morning in Nehemiah, how Nehemiah you know, shot up a prayer in a moment. And oftentimes, that's what it looks like. I'm walking down the road, and my heart goes out some direction, and I confess that to God. I, I start to get proud, or I start to get angry, or I start to be selfish, and I just pray, Lord, help me not to be selfish in this way. Help me not to be angry here. Um, guys, right, if you see a beautiful woman and you're tempted to look and to lust, you're tempted or maybe to covet your neighbor's new car or big house, whatever it is, right? Cry out to God. Run to him in that moment. Confess right then and there. Mid-conversation, right? You don't even have to pause. Right? Jesus, I want what is not mine, right? Guard my heart. Guard my heart right now, Jesus. To have that ongoing relational dialogue with God where we're constantly running to him, constantly seeking his grace, constantly seeking his help. We need to be doing this all the time, right? Throwing up prayers to God in the midst of the messy realities of life. So we say no to the flesh as we say no to our, our self-deception by honestly evaluating our behavior in light of God's word, being honest about what's really there. And we say no to selfish desires through moment by moment, confession, turning to God, running to him. And three, we, we need to say no to self-reliance, um, Look at this passage, right? I mean, look at the whole passage. Who is the one doing all the work? Where do the new desires come from? Who is it who bears the fruit in my life? Who has given me life? Uh, who is it who enables me to walk? That is, live a life pleasing to God. Uh, who is it who leads me? The Spirit does all the work in this passage. Your growth as a Christian is not ultimately up to you. It's up to God's Spirit, we are to keep in step with what he is doing in our lives. He's the primary actor, right? That's fundamental. Right? The problem is all, all we can do is manage our sin. We can't get rid of it. 
We can hide it. Right? We do a good job of hiding our sin, most of us, most of the time. We can make it socially acceptable, right? but that only really makes it harder to get rid of. You know, all I've got apart from the Spirit is what? I've got my flesh. I've got techniques and rules that, that manage the flesh with the flesh, manage myself by my own strength, by my own power. These kinds of things, these laws and rules and techniques, they give the appearance of victory, but Scripture says they're powerless to change our hearts. So our efforts end up actually hindering the Spirit's work because as long as I think I can do something, as long as I think I've got this, as long as I think I can overcome this in myself, I'm not going to fully rest in the Spirit of Christ. As long as I think there's something I can do to make a change in me, I will look to that thing rather than to the Spirit. And maybe I think, right, I just have to pray more or read my Bible more or feel a little more guilty or just follow the right do's and don'ts or just have the right theology or just go to the right church. And if I just get some of these things right, then I'll be a changed person. Right? Then everything will work out in my life. But you can't, you can't do that. Right? You can't change your heart. You can't make yourself holy. You can't rid yourself of that sin that has been nagging you for years or it would be gone already. You can't even want to change apart from the work of the Spirit in your heart. And so at some point, we need to stop trying to figure out what we can do and start resting in the Spirit's work. We need to tell ourselves, apart from the work of the Spirit, apart from the work of the Spirit, my efforts are in vain. You know, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So saying no to the flesh means saying no to self-deception by honestly evaluating our behavior in light of God's word. It means saying no to selfish desires through moment-by-moment -moment confession and turning to God. It means saying no to self-reliance by giving up the illusion that we can make ourselves holy. Now, I mentioned before that this is just uh, part one of what it looks like to keep in step with the Spirit. Uh, this morning, we looked at saying no to the flesh. Next week, we're going to look at, okay, saying yes to the Spirit and taking specific acts of new obedience in light of that. And so if I seem to have leaned on sort of the passivity side at first, um, I think that's good because we're so self-reliant. But don't worry, next week, we're going to focus on, on, on what it looks like to be actively dependent on the Spirit. Okay? How do we be actively dependent upon the Spirit? That's next week. But already, this is scary stuff. You know, where do I get the courage to, to uh, be this honest? Where do I get the courage to actually confess my brokenness? Where do I get the courage to give up self-reliance and to admit how weak I really am? This kind of honesty is hard. Uh, to admit that I'm sinful, to admit that I'm broken, to admit that I deserve God's wrath and anger, to admit that I'm weak, to admit that I don't have what it takes, to admit that I fail so often. This kind of honesty is hard. Where does courage come from? It's got to come from the cross. You know, only as we look to Jesus who bore our sins that we might know forgiveness, who became a child of God's wrath that we might become children of the Father's love, only then can we be honest about our failure because we know that no matter what we say, we will be accepted by the Father in Christ. Christ has purchased a, a place for us in the Father's family. 
The Father loves us. He delights in us, in His Son. We don't have to fear that whatever we see there is going to somehow break that relationship. And only as we look to Jesus, who died in weakness but rose in power, who was put to death in the flesh but made alive by the Spirit, only then can we know that God's power is actually made perfect in weakness. So we can be honest about our weaknesses. We can be honest about our struggles. We can be honest about our failures, trusting in God's power to be at work in us. The cross is what enables this kind of honesty. The cross is what enables this kind of confession. The cross is what enables us to live independence, in dependence, not independence, but independence, rather than in self-reliance. So look to Jesus. Look to Jesus that you might say no to the flesh and take the first steps to keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would teach us, teach us to, uh, to fight sin. Uh, teach us, though, first and foremost, that the first, uh, the first thing we need to realize is that we cannot do that in our own strength. We cannot do that in our own power. Uh, and so we must turn away from the flesh, turn away from self-reliance, turn away from ourselves, and turn to you and turn to your spirit to bring us the victory. We pray that you would do that. We pray that you would turn our hearts to you and that you would grow us in Christ, conform us to his image. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.